Welcome, friends, to Game Master's Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry. Hello, and welcome to Game Master Studio, where we'll be talking tabletop role-playing games, tips and tricks that you can use to help bring your game at home up to the next level. Today we're going to be talking about using the player versus environment challenges in your game to help maybe add a little bit of realism, a little bit of concern, and a little bit of fun. My name is Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden, host and moderator for the show. With me in the studio is Jared, a.k.a. DMF, proprietor of Mad Doc Designs, creator of the World of Wrath, and semi-professional DM, and Ed. Yeah, PVE. I'm really hyped about today's that Ooh, pie. So today we are talking about players versus the environment. Um, Now, in pewter gaming type uh, situation, player versus environment means that active players working against a AI or computer controlled nemesis. Here, what we're talking about is characters having to go through an environment that may be hostile to them. Uh, For example, if they have to traverse a desert or they have to go through an Arctic tundra or even something like mountains or forests, they could have hazards that the players are going to have to deal with, have to overcome, and you can use that to to heighten the game. We also wanted to focus this away from combat. Now, you can say that differences in different environments could involve, you know, the tundra has ice trolls and the jungle has jungle trolls and the desert has desert trolls and the Internet has online trolls. But we want to avoid talking about different monsters to throw at them. Obviously, there are different monsters and you can have some of these hazards that we talk about maybe play a role in these combat encounters. But by and large, we're not talking about combat today. We're talking about survival and dealing with the world and not something that's maliciously actively trying to kill you. Yeah, as a quick little footnote, if you are specifically looking for stuff for your combats, we have an episode called Spicing Up Encounters where we specifically talk about using the terrain and the environment in during your combats. Exactly. Any any encounter combat-wise can be flavored to the environment that you're in, but that's not what this episode is about. So let's start... Um, One of the things you need to think about when you're looking at an environment is the reason. Why are the players there? Um, We broke it down into two broad categories. Pretty much everything we can come up with fits into one of these two categories. The players are either traveling through the environment or they're attempting to settle and stay in the environment. Right. Basically, either they're looking to leave or they're not. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they uh, were in an alien ship and they crash landed in the middle of the tundra. You know, or or whatnot. Well, they're probably trying to leave the environment. They're traveling through it. Maybe they have to get from uh, one city to the next city, but they have to cross a desert to do so. Uh, Again, that's just traveling through. Or maybe they're a group of settlers trying to tame, you know, some wild wilderness. um, And they have to figure out how to do that and survive. And at the same time, alien ship crashes in the tundra. For all we know, the entire planet's like this. Let's figure out a way to survive here. Exactly. Um, so there's some different options there. Um, there are certain environments that you could consider to be hazardous, but n- might not fit into the settling. Um, you're rarely going to find players that want to settle, say, underwater. Right. Uh, or if you're using something like a lava field that might come up, that's probably not something they're going to settle. 
Yeah. Um, but a lot of these, you know, people live in the desert. People live in Arctic environments. People live in the forest, jungle, mountains, whatever. So settling is definitely a option in most of these. And it'd probably be an interesting campaign for some of these to have. Uh, the challenge is you have to try to set up a town, you know, build a place where people can survive and live. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a little different than uh, let's crash the dungeon, get the treasure, rescue the princess, kill the dragon. So we were t- talking about uh, considerations for survival, that it's kind of important if you're trying to be realistic about this, the specific survival requirements, food, water, shelter, clothing are the big ones that we. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I guess fire is you add that in there too. food, water, shelter, clothing, fire. Uh, you need those are the I believe the five uh, elements of, uh, of survival. Uh, you you need to be able to have water to drink. You can't survive more than a few days without it. Yep. In some uh, climates, like really hot deserts or whatnot, you might might not be able to survive more than a day without it. Uh, food. Uh, most people can survive some time without food, but eventually they're going to go hungry. If you can't eat, you can't live. I think it was one of the survival mantras that was. It was like five minutes without air, five. Hours without shelter, five days without water, five weeks without food. That could be it. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one, but it sounds, I mean, because all of these things come from elements of survival. Uh, You need uh, uh, shelter, of course, to protect you from the elements, as they say. Maybe you're in a desert and there's this massive, uh, there's this massive uh, wind gusts all the time and it's flinging around sand. Well, if you don't have clothing to protect your skin and shelter to protect the rest of you, then the things that you have could get destroyed. Essentially getting sandblasted. Getting sandblasted, exactly. And, of course, fire to, uh, you know, to keep you warm, to cook your food, and to keep away animals. You know, it's going to keep away most of them. So, I mean, even even in the desert, too, you know, some people don't realize that the desert hits very, very hot, you know, hundreds of degrees Fahrenheit uh, in the daytime. Don't say hundreds. Well, over a, easily over 100 degrees Fahrenheit in the daytime, and then it it's going to drop below freezing easily at the nighttime. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the desert heats up very quickly, but it also cools down extremely quickly. So you still need to have fire and shelter for the night because it can very easily drop to temperatures that would be unsafe for right. a person to live in. So as a dungeon master... Uh, you want to determine what's around for your players. Where can they get their food and water? What kind of clothing do they have on them? What could they use for coverings? Um, you know, are there animals that they could, you know, kill and skin and use their hides or not? Uh, is is there wood or something for fire? You know, um, a lot of people, when they think of desert climbs, they think absolutely lifeless, nothing but sand desert. Which, yeah, that's a pretty hostile environment. And maybe you have to cross through that at some point. A lot of deserts do have a lot of vegetation, though. Uh, it, it's desert vegetation, but it's there. Uh, so you might want to consider that part of your environment, too. When you're building the environment that your characters are either trying to settle or go through. Okay, where's the vegetation? What are the animals? Um, uh, those sorts of things. So that when it comes to the player's survival, you know what they can rely on. Maybe you have a patch of your desert that is absolutely lifeless. 
So if you're in that area, you're done. Like if you can't get out, that's it. But maybe you have other parts where you have vegetation that maybe even if they can't eat, they could have grazing animals that uh, could survive off that. You know, uh, the Middle East is famous for being mostly desert, but they have plenty of shepherds, you know, all kinds of goats and, and whatnot in the, in the area. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then on, on the other extreme, you know, if you're looking at uh, a little more cold, you're yeah. going to need to be obviously be able to have shelter to keep away from from the cold. Uh, you have to worry there about fire because, again, vegetation, you may have difficulty getting to it because it's snowing yeah. or whatever you can get may be extremely wet yeah. because it's been coated in snow or ice or whatever. And once you heat it up and melt it, that snow and ice turns into water and soaks whatever you're trying to burn. Um, and then even in the temperate climates, you know, you still have to worry about rain and rainstorms. Yeah. If you're traveling through a swamp, you definitely want to have some sort of shelter because you don't want to be just out in the open overnight and get, you know, 12 million insects sucking your blood dry. Right. Yeah. And also, I mean, just the idea of traveling through a swamp, you know, probably for a lot of people, you immediately get this idea of you're probably going to be traveling through some muck. So a change of clothes is very yeah. You know, could be very necessary for someone because once you get out of the muck, well, you're still covered in it. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. When we were talking earlier. So how does that affect your players in game? I remember when we were talking in the pre-show, we said, you know, there's there's already exhaustion charts for, you know, heat and cold. But there's nothing for, oh, I've been tra- marching through the swamp for three days and my feet haven't dried the whole time. Yeah. There's nothing for that. How does that affect a player? Yeah. Just give them a mark of exhaustion. <laughs> yeah. yeah you I mean, can do that. Yeah, and fifth edition exhaustion is it's, it's a useful tool. That chart, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure if I use it enough in my games. No, I haven't really used it at all yet yeah. in my games. But I had I had every intention in the game. I didn't get to really finish, and I have intentions of using it in our our on online game in the futures. Well, in a lot of the games that I run, the characters aren't in a position where exhaustion is going to affect them too much. I usually, I have them end up in some sort of town or some sort of city. Uh, but that's, I think a lot of people do that when they're running, you know, I have a, you know, I have a story in mind. I want to run this story or I don't really want to focus on the hyperrealism, which is the thing we'll be getting to here in a moment of the setting. I don't want to worry about their carrying capacity. I don't want to worry about their food and their water. I just want to play the game. And a lot of GMs do that and that's perfectly fine. Uh, but these tips are obviously here for people who maybe want to add some more of that to their, you know, to the to their game where, okay, now you're going to be going through this patch of desert. That's going to last two weeks at the shortest for you. You have to make sure you're taking enough food and water and whatnot to survive that. You know, that's a a hazardous environment. So talking about survival, talk hyper realism, which you mentioned. Yep. Which is you need to decide when you have the players going into this hazardous environment. Are you worrying about things like their carrying capacity, their ammunition? How much food do they have on them? How much clean water do they have on them? What mechanics do they have for creating more clean water? Um, In a forest setting, it may be very easy to find a a brook or a stream and, oh, there's water. You know, if you're in a swamp, there's water all over the place, but it's largely going to have algae or other Mm -hmm undesirables in it or or even then it could be a sort of an alien environment where the the plants and water have a toxicity that your characters can't survive so you may be able to try to breathe the air but if you try to 
uh, eat the food or drink the water, it makes you sick. Yep. So you really have to worry about what do you have on your own. Um, before I, cause I know Jared wants to weigh in this before, before I sort of hand that over to him a little bit, I will say this is going to take, uh, uh, some logistics. So if you want to run this for your players and you want to focus on the hyper realism, you as a GM will really have to focus on the logistics, how long these things last, how much they need per day, how much they have. And you have to keep track of what they're losing. It will also be handy to have a player doing that. So at least you have one person who is aware of what they're losing. So they know, oh, we're getting to dangerous territory. Even if they're a little off from your from your numbers, they at least know, oh, we're getting to dangerous territory now. We need to get something that'll help us. So that's, you have to have some logistics to be able to do this, but uh, just keep that in mind. Um, it can be a pain, but I think it can be worth it if you, if, you have a really realistic game in it and you can turn that into something that's enjoyable. But uh, we were focusing on hyper realism. I just want to take that quick tangent just from an experience I've had in the past. Also oh, yeah? for working with, with if you want to be hyper realistic on, on any of this is you also want to take a critical look at the rules. Yeah. Um, I had a game that I was in again, know the rules. Yeah. yeah. I had a game that I was in. It was 3.5. And one of the players declared that in order to conserve rations, he was only going to eat one ration every other day. A ration is a pound of food. Yep. So the GM wanted to point out, like you're actively saying that you're going to eat a pound of food every other day. He's like, do you realize how little that is? Right. You've always described your character as this big, brawny, stocky guy. And you're, if you want to average that out to a half a pound a day, Mm -hmm. that's like, maybe you get to have a sandwich each day. And it's like, and you're going to live on that for weeks. It's like, that doesn't, you're going to no. need to find a better source of food. Yeah. I mean, there's mechanics in, in you know, most systems is like fifth edition specifically has rules for exposure for like being in the sun exposed to degree, you know, temperatures over like, I think it's like 110 degrees or 120 degrees um, being in, you know, sub zero temperatures. Like there's, there's rules for it. There's, you know, there's charts and stuff, uh, you know, movement speed, how it's hindered and, you know, you know, basically just boils down to difficult terrain a lot of the time. Yep. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, just make sure that you're again, familiar with the rules or, you know, if the, if there's nothing there for the rules, like when, you know, the example of the swamp situation, you know, just kind of make some stuff up, throw some exhaustion points at them or just kind of come up with your own little hindrances. Like, okay, well, you know what? You've been marching through the swamp for like three days. Your feet are all moist and blistered and, you know, you have a couple marks of exhaustion and you have a temporary minus two to your decks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just just something to, to kind of throw the hindrance in there, especially if you're going for kind of the hyper realism. You know, I would you know, if you want to go for hyper realism also, especially in kind of more of like a survival um, story based, um, maybe not whole campaign or adventure, but, you know, a couple sessions where you're, you're basing on that. Just do a little bit of research online. Yeah. You know, what are the some of the, the big uh obstacles of traveling through a desert, traveling through a swamp, traveling through an Arctic wasteland. Like there's a lot of different 
like you made the example of like there's different desert types. There's a lot of different like Arctic kind of, you know, environments exactly. too. Like you you know, it can be sub zero in the middle of a forest. It can be, yeah. you know, and have three feet of snow, but you can also be in like the Arctic tundra where there is like, it's literally like just the equivalent of a desert, but it's snow instead of sand. Right. Where there's just yeah. nothing around. Like you're praying right. a tundra wolf will come find you so you can kill it and drink its blood. Right. <laughs> you have at most a half an inch of snow on the ground, but the, the ground itself is frozen solid. Right. Right, yeah, you yeah. can't dig. There's no water. You know, there's no unfrozen water around. Or maybe even other than snow, maybe that you can't find any kind of sources of water at all other than the snow itself. And also, if you've ever melted snow, it turns into really dirty water. Yeah, I was going to say, snow is not a good source of water, but it can be cleaned and filtered. Yeah. You know, especially if you're able to create a source of fire, which was just discussed. You know, yep. you can melt it down. You can boil it. You can distill it. You know. And some of this gets into, again, if you're going for hyper-realism, it's, it's up to you to be knowledgeable to, if you want to put your players through the ringer and expect them to know, you know, actual survival techniques, tips, tricks, you know, and stuff for, you know, to actually be able to equivalently role-play themselves through a survival scenario, then you yourself need to know yeah. what's going on. So you're going to want to, either, if you don't already know, if you're not already like a wilderness survival expert or don't already have some, you know, foreknowledge or prior knowledge of this, do your research. Make sure that you're they're not going to say, OK, well, we're in a desert, so I'll just dig a few feet down in the sand and find some water. Like, uh, I don't know if that would work. Yeah, actually, uh, there's a game that I'm playing in where we're sort of inhabiting a desert and we have to really worry about all of this. And one of the things that we thought of maybe our second or third game session was maybe we can make a well. And I, I thought, yeah, OK, that's possible. But. Boy, in a in a desert, I would think that that's probably really rare and not something we can just go randomly do. Yeah, you'd or have. you know maybe in a more plentiful area. Yeah, okay, you you find a decent area and dig a you know, couple of tries. Boom, you found some water. You yeah. know. Yeah, you'd have to again, like if you did your research, you'd have to be okay. Okay, I have to be aware of there being an either a natural spring underwater or some sort of body of yeah. water that is under you know underground underground. I said underwater, but I meant underground. Uh, and typically you're digging like 30 feet down or something like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Like it's not just digging a little hole. Right. So, you, I mean, you got to know these things. But in desert, there's lots of other options for water. If there's cacti around, you can, you know, you can drill a hole into the cactus and you can drink from the cactus. If you are certain species of cactus, certain species of cactus. And, and you if you want to get ones, really yeah. specific, uh, I'd, you know, in a D&D game, I might not worry about the. The species or or family of the cacti, but, but you might. We talked about hyperrealism. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If, if that's what you, if you want to get into that detail, you know, absolutely. You know, that's where it could hurt to not have your survivalist, or even more, to not have your nature expert. Right. You know, your survivalist might look at the cactus and be like, "Geez, this could be one of two, one of two things. Either it's good for us, or it's not." Mm-hmm. Where your actual person who has the nature skill would be the one who'd be like, "No, that's the one we don't want to eat." Yeah. It's, you know, it's either going to be. Clean water that will be fine for us or clean water that's laced with heavy duty hallucinogens. Are we so both to take are fine, really. Yeah, both of them are fine. Um, We've been running through the desert for days. Let's know, have the hallucinogens. It's literally fine. turning over rocks and finding moss that can be wrung out for water. You know, there's lots of things you can do. We don't promote drug use. Yeah, and I like what you said about the internet, too. Yeah, I mean, when you're doing the research online, too, you can either just look up straight, like, wilderness, you know, you know information and try to find facts or videos on YouTube or whatever. But you could also just look for ideas that other people have used specifically for their role-playing game, their D&D game. Like, yep. hey, thinking about running a, you know, a desert survival situation, 
what are some you know ideas that other people have used you know go on a forum and ask the question or find a forum that might already exist for it i'm sure there's some blogs like there's there's information out there on everything you know even if it's specifically geared towards dnd yeah. i'm sure you can find it i would probably start with doing some research on the subject matter itself and then if i didn't already have enough ideas on my own i might go look for some suggestions or steal some ideas that other people have used in their own games yeah if you want to find the specifics like you know various plants and animals how, how they affect people that sort of thing definitely look for that stuff but i also like your idea go into the forums and see if someone's already done this and in part figure out what they did that worked and what didn't work and what they did that their players liked and didn't like so maybe you don't make the same mistakes yeah, and then also, again, for games like D&D, I would try to make sure that when I go to actually implement them, that I have roles that can be used, like Jer um, Jerry, um, no, sorry. That, uh, like Ed specifically mentioned, like, you know, someone having the nature skill, having survive the survival skill, like, these yeah. are two are going to be two of the most important skills, you know, but also athletics, you know, for, you know, like, if you're, say, in the middle of the woods and you need someone to be chopping a lot of wood, you know, like, you can have some athletic, you know, if you got to scale the, a, a sheer cliff to get up to some area to be able to get some some food for whatever reason or, you know, just make sure that you have options where not everything has to just be ingenious plans coming out of the, you know, the, the yeah. players heads, you know, leaving some opportunity for, yeah, like, you know, some in-game so roles, some character knowledge over player knowledge. Okay, I might not personally know that there's a difference between two different cacti, but... My character has a really, you know, a good natured ability. Let me roll that. I rolled really well. Okay, this is the bad one. This is the good one. Yeah. Yeah, or, or maybe, like, you go back to the chopping the wood in the desert. You know, that's physical exertion in a very hot environment. Uh, maybe it's an athletics role because if you fail it, uh, maybe you, that's when the exhaustion kicks in. And that's you also, are exhausted. And that's so also, that's why your really good athletics person, your strong-bodied person, is the one who has to do it. You know, instead of them being guarding the camp, you know, letting the rogue cut the wood or whatever. That's also a really good time for D&D &D to use the uh, alternative ability scores. So give me an athletic score, but instead of going off strength, go off constitution. Yes. Um, you know, they have those that get brought up very rarely, but that's a great time to use it, I think. No, I agree yeah, because absolutely. it's more about survival than it is about... Yeah. Strength or anything. You're chopping wood. You don't need to see if you can chop the wood. You can chop the wood. It's the question whether or not you're going to collapse from chopping wood. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. The more that you can chop more than one log before you faint. <laughs> um, I think you also want to be prepared for your players to circumvent obstacles. Um, and this comes into kind of the function of the high level versus low level. Yeah. Um, you may say that, okay, you need to sh scale this sheer cliff. And they may bust out spider climb or fly or wind levitate, walk. Boom. Yeah. yeah. Levitate dimensional door, you know, teleport up to the top. Yeah. I made the mistake. I was running a game. This, this was before fifth edition. I was running a pathfinder game and in my, for my group, they were like level five or six. And I decided I want to put them through a tundra. Yeah. This will be a challenge. We'll have all these environmental hazards and everything. And they get to the tundra and I'm all ready and set to go and have them go through it. And then the first thing the wizard does is cast like endure elements or something like that. And like, they're all fine. Yep. yep. Not a problem. We're good. I'm like, damn it. I didn't even think yep. of that. Yeah. Which we've kind of touched on that in other episodes too, where we're talking about how like, you know, like appropriate skill challenge you know, or, or challenge levels based off of character level, like, you know, having to navigate a small cave to save the the daughter of the nearby town's mayor, not that big a deal for a 14th level wizard who can just right. go, 
Uh, I'm gonna scry in there. I know the layout. I'm gonna teleport in, grab the you know, grab the girl, teleport back out. Bob's your uncle. Mission done. Didn't even have to freaking do anything. Or I'm just gonna walk. You know, um, even just a mid-level cleric can just like, okay, I'm just gonna cast um, passwall or shape stone. Yeah. Uh, what's the one that kills everything in 15 feet? Oh, uh, spirit guardians. Yeah. I'm just gonna cast spirit guardians and just walk through this thing. Yeah. I, and I just was, like let it zap all the goblins to death. I was but yeah, say, pass wall, shape stone. I was gonna say that just would, completely subvert the whole thing. The difference for my for the high level wizard that I would think would be okay, scry, teleport, delayed blast fireball, teleport. <laughs> right. Even better. You know, or you know, there's a lot of examples. When it comes to the environment though, you know, again, you have those those spells and abilities that can bypass those uh, source of obstacles. You can, you know, fly over the sand pit or you can, you know, uh, uh, cast create food and water. You create food and water. That's a fifth level cleric can cast that or druid. A first level druid can cast goodberry. Goodberry su- supplies you with all the sustenance you need for 24 hours. Now, I guess there's a debate as to whether or not that would include water um, this sort of came up in our game where we're doing the desert survival. I sort of said, yeah, that should include well, water. Yeah, by definition, it says all the nutritional value you need for 24 hours. Yeah. Water is not technically, ha- doesn't ha- technically have a nutritional value. Well, it sort of does. I, the, uh, I would want to look that up because I don't think it says nutritional yeah. value. I think it says sustenance. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Which I, mean, I would that's something water. That's something sustenance. we can look up. But also you want to actually look up water. No water is 100% pure water unless it's built that way. And 100% pure water is actually not good for the human body because it doesn't have all the minerals and electrolytes and all of those things that are actually in water that people need. That's actually why we drink water is because it's not for the oxygen or the hydrogen. It's for the other things that are in it, as minuscule as they may be. So, you know, that's an argument. You know, as a GM, you will have to decide whether or not Goodberry... Uh, spell would also include the daily rationing for water. But the other reason to get water is just to have fluids in your body and not dehydrate. So that's sort of where I think Jared, where you may be coming from is that's kind of the idea. And yes, that little, you know, good berry that you eat might not be able to provide the fluid, uh, the fluids necessary to run your body. Sure. It can. We are like, because magic, right? (laughs) Yeah, it could, or it couldn't. Uh, probably if you want a really hyper-realistic game that's really focusing on this and water is a commodity instead of just everywhere, then maybe you want to say no to that. RGM did. He said, no, that's not going to cover that. You know, agree, disagree. That's his ruling. That's fine. Now we know how that's going to work. And it does make sure that a level one group can't just bypass the... Yeah, I mean, it depends on your system, too. So if you're going to choose personally, like if I was going to do fifth edition and I wanted to go for a very hyper realistic survival environment sort of situation where food and water were going to be of a higher value, I might tweak what's allowed for that you know specific campaign. Again, good Barry. I might, you know, if yep. I even allowed the spell, I might like I would definitely say it doesn't include water. But there's also other things like um, the Outlander. Um, yes, background. Yeah, the outliner background. Well, even that, in the even in the background, it says if the area ha- can support life. Right. Well, it says if it can support life, but again, by definition, night like deserts do support a form of life. So, 
I might even say, look, guys, no offense. Like you can have the flavor of the Outlander background, but you don't you can't have this perk because you just what can provide food and water for what, like five, ten people or something like yeah, that? Yeah, four, I think. OK, yeah, you can you can provide food and water for you. Now, the other part of the, the 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 deal is knowledge of the terrain so you can remember where everything is. So you'll still get some use out of it. Yeah. But yeah, our GM was the same way. He said, hey, guys, if you do take this Outlander thing, you know, there are going to be areas in this game where you won't be able to provide food for everyone. So that's not just going to be an automatic thing. Yeah. Because again, the fifth edition being streamlined as it is, which I love, just makes things easier. So again, you can kind of focus on the story and just kind of not have to worry about all the, the record keeping and note taking that could you bog down a game. But if you're going for that type of game, then you need to let again, as long as you let the players know what's going on, then, you know, that's that's the important part. But you can limit things, reinterpret things. Just be make sure you're letting your player know what's going on ahead of time. If you take Outlander, you can't take advantage of this perk, you know, either all the time or in specific areas like your DM did. Yeah. Uh, you know, Goodberry doesn't provide, you know, the, you know, your daily hydration. Maybe even Druids don't have access to food and water, or, you know, like, you know, create food and water. You could do something like that, you know, just yeah. like, you know, in my world, resurrection magic is, you know, limited, quote unquote. But you could say, OK, well, you know, I'm sorry, but create food and water is not you know, an available spell like it exists in my world, but it's like it's a, a tightly kept secret. So not everyone automatically knows it, you know, you know, while clerics might normally just gain access to any spell they want. This one is, you know, you, the, you can't just have it like it, you have to have a special item or go hunt down a sacred scroll, yeah. maybe or something like that. And you could you can make up an in-game reason like you were doing or you could just say out of game, guys, I'm not going to have you. I'm not going right. to gas it just because I want this to be a thing. I want you to focus on survival for this part of the campaign. So that isn't allowed. Yeah. yeah. Or if you want to go the extreme, like I'm sorry, but in this game, there's no clerics or druids. It's an extreme. I'm not saying it's, you know, the way to go. It's just something that you could do. You could say, you know, I've had games where like this class option is not available in Wrath. You cannot play a uh, a dragon blooded sorcerer. It's just the way it is currently. <laughs> so it's just one of those things. It's just the way that it is, you know, and again, as long as it's OK with all the players and as long as you let them know ahead of time that that's a thing, it's something that you can do. Again, I'm not saying it's the right you know thing to do. I'm not saying it's a good idea. I'm just saying it is an option that's out there. Indeed. And we're going to kind of wrap it up there. I did want to add just one note. Keep in mind, we are talking here about survivable environments. We may be coming back at a later date to be talking about extreme environments, such as if your players are trying to function underwater, in outer space, on right. a hostile plane, or some other place where you need to take special consideration just to not die from being there. Right. Um, this is more mundane and there's still a lot of mileage you can get out of this. So definitely maybe change things up. Try to put a, a survival sequence into one of your games. Let us know if you have questions about how to implement it or if you have some great stories about about uh, putting it in. Let us know about that. We love to talk about we love to talk about topics. We love to talk about gaming. We are we're game guys. So. Send us your questions. Let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about. Give us any feedback. One of us will be getting back to you. You sometimes might roll the dice on uh, who you're getting in touch with, but we all generally enjoy interacting with the fans. Uh, you can get in touch with us on Facebook. We're available to 
check out there. Uh, Twitter at GMS Studios. You can subscribe and support us on Patreon. Our, we are patreon.com slash Game Master Studios to get some exclusive early access and a little bit of exclusive content on there as well. We've also launched our YouTube channel with a 360 VR uh, campaign that Jared is currently running with me and Ed playing, as well as a couple of other gamer buddies for the, the Dark Hounds. So check that out. Let us know what you think on there. We're here with more information, tips, and tricks every week, and we will see you the next time that we are back in the studio.